Our wilderness journey, Deuteronomy chapter 2. I'm going to have you open your Bible. Stand with me for the reading of the word, if you would like. Deuteronomy 2, verses 1 through 7. And what was that? And my Bible is cutting it off. Deuteronomy chapter 2, 1 through 7. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea as the Lord spoke to me. And we skirted Mount uh, Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me saying, you have skirted this mountain long enough, turn northward. And command the people saying, you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land, not so much as uh, one footstep, because I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows uh, your trading, uh, trudging through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray tonight as we come, Lord God, to your holy word. Open up our hearts. Open up our ears that we may, Lord God, hear the word of God and take it. And Lord God, put it into practice. Rich message, Lord God about, Lord God, the life you've called us to right here in Deuteronomy chapter 2. We pray, Lord God, for your spirit to minister to us as we sit, Jesus, at your feet. Let it be for your glory and honor tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you just to notice just verse 7 of what I just read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7. He says, he knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. You know, the word, the word trudging... It, it carries with it a couple of different, you know, meanings. One is is to walk at the same pace. So here, the word here to the uh, Israel is keeping in pace with the Lord, keep in step with the Lord, walk in harmony. It also carries with it, though, having heavy steps. A picture of trudging would be, and boy, we haven't we haven't had a good amount of snow here in a really long time. But if you think about going out and, you know, you're walking uh, through a field when there's a foot of snow or 18 inches of snow, you're trudging through. It's exhausting, you know, walking through snow like that. So the picture here, Israel is walking through the desert, trudging through the, jet, the desert, and um, very harsh conditions. And I think that's, the, you know, that's the key thing. We walk with Jesus through this world. At times we trudge. And at times the sand is deep. Right? At times the, you know, the sun can be scorching. At times the nights can be bitterly cold. But we're walking with Jesus. So I want you to notice a, a, a few key things from this uh, passage. First thing, the Lord's journey. We often think of it being our journey, but it's the Lord's journey that he's called us to. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1, then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea as the Lord spoke to me, 
and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. Now, you see the word, the way? Derek, do you know what Greek Hebrew word that is? It's Derek. Literally Derek. And what it means, it, it, it talks about essentially a way or a journey, but the concept of a journey by conversation. So the picture here is they're on a journey with conversation. It is the Lord speaking to them. It is God guiding them. God directing their steps, just as he directs our steps through his word. You know, the living word of God, right? Jesus speaking to us in our lives. Again, guiding us, leading us as we walk through this desert of life. And I'll tell you, there... There is a wonderful, you know, I've shared with you, there are hidden messages in the scripture. And so we come to, uh, again, Tanakh, the Old Testament, where we're here in, you know, the, the Talmud, the law, Deuteronomy being the fifth book of the law. There are a lot of hidden messages in scripture. There are a lot of hidden messages in Tanakh and in the Talmud. Here's a hidden message. And the message, you know, you look at the way. Notice that the translators in the New King James Version, they capitalized way with a W. Now, I think that they're referring to is the way of the Red Sea being a geographical location. But we're being led by the way. Right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through me. And the picture is here that, you know, that, again, we're being led by the way. Forty years ago, Jesus came into my life. Forty years ago, God chose me. God invaded my life. I, I mean, it doesn't nullify my, you know, my act of faith and belief, but God revealed himself to me. He showed me his incredible love, what he did for me on the cross. That was enough for me to basically say that, you know what, I'm no longer going to be going my own way. I am now going to begin to go your way. And I began to follow Jesus. Following the way. In the, the context of this passage, you'll look here, this is, this is where essentially Israel is here. Right, and they have been in this this period of wandering. Right, they left Egypt, went down to Mount Sinai. God gave them the law, and then they come up, and there's this this wandering period that is is happening right here. And again, the picture here is God is guiding them. God is you know guiding them. He's guiding them in the way of the Red Sea, which is a desert wilderness. Uh, it's a hostile wilderness. This is. This is the wilderness. I think sometimes when we think of wilderness in the North American continent, we think of forests. This is the wilderness. Been there many times. Led groups, you know, through the wilderness, going uh, down to the Red, you know, to the uh, Dead Sea. But it's sand. It's rocks. You know, it's it, it's dirt. It's hot during the day and it's cold at night. Little grows in this entire environment. It's dry. It's hard. It's Badlands. I don't know if you've ever gone up to uh, South Dakota, you know, the, the Badlands. And they're called Bad because, again, they're, they're wilderness territory. 
It's, it's a land filled with scorpions. It's a land filled with poisonous snakes. The wilderness. We wander through a wilderness, folks. This is not our home. Right? We are in enemy territory. Look at what you know, the Word of God tells us over and over again in 1 John chapter 5, 19. It, it basically repeated three times. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is, again, enemy territory. We, we live in a world that is under the system. The systems of the world are under the dominion of Satan. The political systems, no matter, no, listen, no matter how hard you want to try to get your candidate, right, into office, no matter how hard you try, right, you think, wait, well, the next president's the one who's going to fix everything. The political systems of this world are under the dominion of the enemy. The educational institutions, and we see that really clearly, are under the influence of the enemy. You, you have the economic systems are under the influence of the enemy. So all these different differences, including the religious systems, are under the dominion of the enemy. So what the world calls good, all you have to do is look at, you know, look at what's being you know, produced out there. You, know, hold, you can look at it on your cell phone, you can look at it on the computer. The world calls evil good and calls good evil. But in picture, we live in a fallen world. And the world continues to fall and go lower and lower. In, in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, he said, enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. We journey through a wilderness. We journey through enemy-occupied territory. But it's God's journey. He's taking us through it. And he's guiding us in the way. Now, second thing, the Lord's guidance. So, it's the Lord's journey, and you have the Lord's guidance. What you see is, and we'll see, you see that when he guides, he always provides. So, in, in verses, uh, verse 2 and 3, And the Lord spoke to me, saying, you have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. Right? They're, they're going around. They've been, they've been basically going around in circles. And now he said to them, I want you to go north. What's north? Promised land. Right? Go north. That's where the promised land is. And notice here again. Here is the Lord guiding. He's, he's, he's basically, he's helping them and pointing them due north to the promised land. And that's what he does with us. You may, not, you may not like the way God is guiding you, but God's ultimate purpose is to bring you home. Now, a lot of people think, well, God's ultimate purpose is to make me happy and give me everything I want. That's not what God's purpose is for your life. God's purpose is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ and to bring you home to heaven. That's his ultimate purpose. And we're, we're going to go that way, again, due north. And we're going to travel through hostile land. Listen to this. This is a great song, Twilight per, uh, Paris. She's got a beautiful, beautiful voice. She sings a song called uh, True North. We lost our bearings following our own mind. You ever experienced that? 
I deal with people every day in conversations, counseling. That's, I mean, sometimes believers, believers in the church and unbelievers outside the church. Following our own mind, we left conviction behind. How, would, how did we ever wander so far? And where do we go from here? How will we know where it is? True north. There's a strong, steady light that is guiding us home. We need an absolute compass now more than ever before. So the concept here again, you know, true north. What is, our, what is our true north? Or who is our true north? Yeah, Jesus, Jesus is our, our true north. And I'll say this, the living word and the written word are our true north. That is God's, God's first. By, by following our true north, and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, becoming deeper and deeper, right, in the knowledge of the Word of God, that's what will keep us traveling due north. Look at what it tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 14. And he himself, right, and this is speaking of Jesus, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So the picture, there's a picture here, and I don't want to <laughs> in any way elevate myself, but apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers essentially are gifts that have been given to the body of Christ. Hopefully they are faithful in what God has called them to do. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Picture here is again, if we are in harmony, if the teachers, the pastors, uh, the teachers, the evangelists, prophets and apostles, if we are in harmony with God and we're obeying God, then we should be bringing to you the word of God. You've got a responsibility, by the way. You've got a responsibility to be testing everything that's taught to you. Everything. No matter who it's from. Whether, whether it, it, it's me or anybody else. Be Bereans. Acts chapter 17, 11. For the Bereans, they, they checked and they tested even what the Apostle Paul was teaching them from the Old Testament. They were checking continuously to make sure what he was teaching them was true. And what he was teaching them is he kept showing them all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Hundreds of them showing that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what he is doing with, you know, in his ministry. But they're checking to make sure what he was saying was true. That's what you have to do. You sit there and nod your heads and say, well, Pastor Frank said it. Because Pastor Frank is not above right, making mistakes. Pastor Frank is not above sinning. And I know, again, some of you may be visiting us tonight. That is unheard of in the churches you go to, that a pastor would be sincere enough and honest enough to be able to say that to his congregation, which is, test me. But that's the responsibility that you have. And when that doesn't happen, that's where you start to have cults. And there's a lot of culticness and sometimes, you know, pure, 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 pure cults in the church. So when this is happening and these dynamics are working, 
And the teachers are bringing forth the word, right, in, in truth, carefully, and it's being tested by the body of Christ. There's some beautiful things happen. We grow. We grow. And then notice verse 14. And then we're no longer tossed to and fro and carried about, right, by the trickery of men, by every wind of doctrine. And you see a lot of people. I see people here in our church who are tossed all over the place. They, they spend way too much time listening to teachers instead of being in the Word of God. And I say this to you, at this time in my life, I'll tell you, it's like 90-10. For everything that I'm hearing from a preacher or reading from a, a Christian author, I'm in the Word of God 90% and 10% in that. And one of the dynamics here that works real well with this, you're hearing a word tonight, go home and study it. You hear a word on Sunday. Go home and study it. You know, you get, you get people in the church. They're listening to eight different messages a day from eight different teachers. How the heck are you able to process all that? You can't. And we become, we become Christian preaching junkies. We're, we're junkies who just, you know, we're, like we're addicted to hearing the Word of God. And again, you know what happens? Ask yourself this question tonight. Does your obedience... Is your obedience excelling above your knowledge? Ask yourself that. Is it even close? Because the, the church today, I, I mean, the evangelical Christian church, we're like a bunch of stuffed pigs. We just, you know, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. But how many of us are taking what is being said and applying it? And I find that's, that's true. It's very few. So again, beautiful picture here, you know, as we wander through the desert, we are led, right, by the Lord. We're guided by the Lord. He is our, our guide. Okay, number three, interacting with the people of the world. So you look at, at Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, the Lord here says, and command the people saying, you're about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, that's the Edomites, uh, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Now watch, now watch the instruction here. You're, you're moving into territory of unbelievers. The Edomites were not believers. So he says, therefore, watch yourselves carefully. The word here, carefully, be diligent around non-believers. Be diligent around them. You know why? They're watching you carefully. They got you under their microscope. They're waiting for you to make a mistake. He says, do not meddle with them. The word, the word meddle, do not contend with them. Do not strive with them. Do not argue with them. And then notice, though, we have to interact with them. It, it goes on, for I will uh, not give you any of their land, nor not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. Now watch what he says in verse 6. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. You still have to interact with them. But we're, we're told, right, 
watch yourself carefully and don't meddle with them. Don't, don't argue with them. So a couple of New Testament passages in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 and 15, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? The word, the word there for yoked essentially talks about uh, being essentially in harmony and being influenced by them. So we need, to, we need to be careful who we are yoking ourselves with because they're going to have an influence on us in our lives. And most of the time when we look at this passage, we think about marriage, right? Uh, an unbeliever and a believer. I had a, a couple come to me a couple years ago here, and they were, he came right out and said, I'm not a believer. And uh, I knew the parents. The parents were like, oh, will you do the wedding? No, I won't. I won't marry a, a believer with an unbeliever. I've got to stand before God and give an accounting. And, uh, and then also it talks about, you know, it, business partnerships. I've seen, I've seen some real disasters happen when Christians go into partnership with non-believers. And as wonderful it looks at first, and what great buddies we were, how everything can just really, you know, turn, turn so bad. Another, another verse is 1 Peter chapter 2.12, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. This is exactly in harmony with what's being said in Deuteronomy chapter 2. Then even if they accuse you of wrongdoing, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. The picture again, we need to live carefully. We work around unbelievers. We live around unbelievers. Maybe you're even living with unbelievers. And we need to live carefully with them. So the fourth thing here, the Lord's provisions. So in verse 7, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through the great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And again, the, the picture here is where God, and this is a great saying, where God guides, he always provides. I want to tell you this, this entire ministry here is an example of that. God would guide, we would follow him, we obeyed him, maybe not perfectly, and then God always provided. And it's, it's just a, you know, it's a beautiful thing. When people come to me for counseling and they are having financial problems, one of the first things that, you know, we'll talk about having a financial struggle, are you being faithful? Are you being faithful financially? And, and most of the time, you're probably sitting there thinking, oh, he's going to talk about tithing. That's part of it. But that's only a small part of it. There are 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with money. 2,000. You know how many verses deal with love? About 600. You know how many verses deal with faith? About 500. 2,000 verses that deal with money. And what the Scripture is teaching us about money is, is not just about giving. It's about the way that we manage, right, what God has given us, right? Yeah, he, he, you, get, you get to keep 90%. He asks for 10%. But he expects you to manage that 90% faithfully, to manage it. And, you know, essentially, I see people at times, they come to me and they're having financial problems. I'll say to them, let me see what you're spending your money on. 
I'll tell you, their cell phone bill is twice as much as mine. Their cable bill, a bill in their house, right, with all the stations and everything they have. You don't need 3,000 stations. And some of the stuff shouldn't be allowed in your house anyway. But they're spending all this money on, on all this, you know, all this stuff. And I'll, I'll see too, you know, just ex extravagant stuff. Vacations, extravagant vacations. Or they buy things, they buy things that are well beyond their, need, their, their needs. And that's just the world. That's the world that is penetrated into your heart and making you think that those things are going to fulfill you, which they never do. So 50% of Americans right now are retiring with less than $5,000 in their bank account. Yet, over the course of their lifetime, they've made a million, two, three million dollars. Well, you start looking at a person who, who has worked for 50 years and how much they make each year, they've made over a million dollars, maybe two million, three million dollars. Where did all the money go? In their attic, in their basement, and in their garage. Look at all the things that they thought were going to make them so happy that were going to bring them such tremendous fulfillment. And of course it doesn't. Now, How many things can you think of in your own life in the last year that you brought that when you first got it, you were so thrilled. You get that new car, you know how excited you are and the way that car smells and how wonderful it is. And then all of a sudden, right, the trans goes. All of a sudden, you got to replace the tires. All of a sudden, that first time you see a scratch on your car, oh, no! Our values are all warped. We've bought, we've bought into a materialistic mindset. That's not what the scriptures teach. We're caught up in materialism, keeping up with the Joneses, thinking that, again, things are going to bring fulfillment to us. So there's, there's much more to God meeting our needs and not our greeds. And I really do believe he promises to the faithful person, right, they are being faithful with what he has given them, that he will take care of all your needs. But you get caught up in the American mindset that promise doesn't apply because you're violating his word. Number five, the Lord's warning. Verses eight and nine. And when he passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elat and uh, Izion uh, Gebor, we turned and passed by way of the wilderness of Moab. Now watch here. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle. For I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Now I want you to notice, do not harass Moab or contend with them. By the way, again, that word contend, do not contend, Edom, do not contend with, with Moab. Sometimes Christians harass people in the world. They think that they somehow can change them or they somehow can convert them. And, and they'll do things that, that actually are very irritating to unbelievers. And they really bring a, a, a very bad 
name and outlook upon Christians and upon the church. I've met Christians like that. They, they think that they somehow can manipulate or force people through fear to somehow receive Jesus. And it, it, it doesn't work. What, what we are called to do as Christians is to proclaim, we are to proclaim the gospel. We are to be able to explain the gospel. It's one thing to proclaim. I can stand here and proclaim that Jesus is God, but to be able to explain that, to be able to show passages that, that truly show that Jesus is God. And then we are to demonstrate it through our, through our lifestyle. If we're not demonstrating it, I'll tell you, you can forget about proclaiming it and explaining it because they don't care what you know until they truly see, right, that you care. And they see an example. So the picture here, again, is, you know, people thinking they can somehow coerce or force somebody into becoming Christian. And that's where, again, we, we begin to contend with them. And How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, how many of you have had a fight with a family member over Jesus? They don't believe. And, and maybe, maybe they, you're, you're, not even that they insulted you. You're just angry that they don't believe like you. They just don't believe. And you start to get angry at them. You start to harass them. You're never going to bring them to Christ that way. You're, you're, you know, you're being used. You're being used by the enemy to push them away from Christ. Look at, look at, this is in my morning devotions. I'm reading the ESV this year. I read a, a new translation and go through it a number of times every year. I'm reading the ESV version right now. I've never read it before. But this is from Proverbs 9. It says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. You think you're going to be able to correct that, that, that negative scoffer? He's going to abuse you. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, yeah, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. What do you do when you're sharing? You're sharing the gospel with someone. They don't want to hear it, right? You don't want to contend with them. What did Jesus say that we should do? Yeah, right? Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Either, either they're never going to be saved, or maybe, right, it's just not the time for them to be saved. But by contending with them, getting into arguments with them, they start to abuse you, and you start to abuse back, that's totally, totally counterproductive. And you really need to learn to be able just to say, you know what? Carson isn't ready. I'm just moving on. And some people are just, they're, they're just not ready to hear the gospel. And you need to, you know, you need to shake the dust off your feet and you need to move on. All right, final point here, sixth, the Lord's battle. We're going to get into this more in the upcoming weeks. So, that was also regarded as the land of the giants, right? Giants formerly dwelt there. But the Amorites called them uh, Zamzumim, a people as great, numerous, and tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before them. 
and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them. And they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, even to this day. And the Avim, who dwelt in villages as far as Gaza, think about that in the time we live in. Kaftorim, uh, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Rise, take your journey and cross over to the river of Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite king, Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. I want you to notice just in red, the Lord destroyed them, right? And then again, he destroyed uh, the Horites. And then it's the Lord who's going to, right? Look, I have given them into your hand. Then he says, engage him in battle. But the battle is the Lord's. You know, you know what we are? We are the sword in the hand of the Lord's. We are the shield in the hand of the Lord's. So here is Israel, and there were giants in the land. Who, who were they? Just a, a quick picture. Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy gives us a lot of information on what is, you know, what is going on. But the Hebrew names of the giants, the Anakims, Emims, Rephaims, Avims, Zamzumims, and there's a bunch of other names... They inhabited, and here's a picture of, you know, them inhabiting uh, the land. And God, again, is, is sending Israel in there to essentially drive them out and dispossess them. But again, the battle is the Lord's. He gives us the authority. He gives us the power. And he gives us the weapons of warfare. Right? He gives us... The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. He gives us the weapons and the inner power. He gives us a warrior's heart uh, to go out and fight. But we, our responsibility, right? The battle is Lord's, but we need to be battle ready to fight. Because that battle is going to go on. Every day you get out of bed, folks, put on the armor of God. Because you know what? You're going to have some battles to fight. I know some people, it's, it's not you know, the way they want to look at life. They want to look at life as a playground. I want to go out and have fun today. I want to go out and play today. You keep that mentality, and you know what? You're going to get the snot knocked out of you. The devil's going to have, have a heyday with you. You've got to get up, and you've got to realize, we are in enemy territory. We are in a wilderness. We have enemies. And when we get up, we need to put on the armor of God to go out and fight the battle. It's a warrior's heart. And, you know, look. Look around you. You'll see, right? You can see desert is in this battle. Just like you do in battles of war. You, you will find casualties in the battle. You will find people who are wounded in the battle. Have you ever been wounded in the battle? Right? It, it, it is a battle, and that's why we need to be battle-ready. The battle is the Lord's. We are going to win, right? He fights from victory, not for victory. The victory is his. 
But we are that sword in his hand. We are that shield in his hand. And we need to be battle ready to go out. And that's the message. That's the message of Ephesians chapter 6. So just a, a few key notes, you know, in, in us wrapping up here. Just as you, look at, as you look at that passage, right, it is God's journey that he has you on. He guides us. We need to be in tune with him. We need to be in tune with him. We need to, we need to be walking with him hand in hand. And be in tune with him because he is going to guide us. And he's always guiding us again due north, right? He's guiding us to the promised land. And that is heaven. And that is his, his ultimate goal in our lives. To get us, right, to get us to heaven. On the way, right, we are in hostile territory. On the way, there's an enemy who wants to, right, he wants to destroy us. He's like a roaring lion prowling around looking for people to destroy. I was talking, I was actually on, on the other side of uh, the, uh, the repair shop next door, the body shop, is um, a realtor named Dave Miller. I've known Dave since we were kids. And I was on the phone with him talking. And, you know, we were, we were talking about, uh, I was talking about the ministry here and what we've done and what God has been doing through the years. And I shared a story of somebody that he knows who um, I tried to help, young kid, had a drug problem, got him into Teen Challenge. He left Teen Challenge, and then he just totally sunk. I used, to, I used to take this kid with me when I was traveling as an evangelist before I started Living Word, and I would be preaching in different churches around, uh, you know, around the area. The kid eventually jumped off the George Washington Bridge and killed himself. So, you know, Dave was, you know, his heart, he's got a good heart. His heart was, you know, he's feeling. And I said, you know, Dave, there have been too many of those through the years. I had one summer, I did four funerals for four men who, uh, who all overdosed. Close to me. John, you were around. But um, there are casualties. There's casualties on children. There's casualties on marriages. The casualties happen in families. But this is, again, we live in a hostile world. Don't live your life with your head in the sand. Realize we are in a battleground. We have an enemy. But we have a God who is with us, who has equipped us to live victoriously. Not to live, not to live as victims, but to live victoriously. But if you, don't, if you don't take that battle seriously, and if you don't arm yourself and go out and fight the good fight, you'll be defeated. Amen? Take the message of Deuteronomy chapter 2 to heart. There's a lot of great, you know, great messages that come out of Deuteronomy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. It's a Lord, sobering reminder, Lord God, of Lord, the journey that we're on, we're thankful that you're with us and we don't walk alone. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, that you guide us and we don't need, Lord God, to try to figure it out on ourselves. You're pointing us, Lord God, always due north to the promised land, to heaven, and we're thankful for that. And Lord God, we're thankful that you have, Lord God, equipped us and empowered us to, Lord, win the battles that come our way every day and to bring glory to you our Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.